Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. India's prime minister is now inside the West Wing. Live sound from earlier, I should say, on the south lawn of the White House. Distinguished guests, the President of the United States and Dr. Biden. With all the trappings, hail to the chief as the President and First Lady emerge from the portico. And shortly thereafter, Prime Minister Modi joined them. They delivered remarks on the lawn and then went inside for a meeting that appears to be running late. Joining us uh, off the top here, I'm delighted that we have Morgan Ortegas in studio with us, the former State Department spokesperson in the Trump administration. You worked uh, for Mike Pompeo, Morgan, and you bring a unique perspective on this relationship. By the way, welcome. I've been looking forward to having you with us here. It's Maybe I should here. say welcome back. Thank you. Uh, more appropriately. But on this broadcast, it's always an honor. And this idea of a pivot from China into the arms of India is something that this White House is clearly embracing. Is it the right move right now? Absolutely. I, I think there's almost no relationship more important when you look to the Indo-Pacific uh, and how we counter the Chinese Communist Party. India is just a central relationship, one of the most important relationships that we have on the planet. I know all of you have talked about this. You know, America is not the largest democracy in the world anymore. India is. Uh, most populous nation. It's actually overtaken China. Uh, I went there many Time. I, well, first of all, I love India. I've been there many times on vacation, but I also went there with uh, Secretary Pompeo, um, and, and he certainly understood, you know, the importance of that relationship. You know, what what a lot of people don't know is India actually shares uh, a massive border, a very a very mountainous region border with um, China that's yeah. over two thousand miles long, and there's often conflict there. Well, we're giving it's, them some help with drones to patrol are. that area apparently <laughs> as well, right? Thankfully, yeah, GE has has some uh, technology. There's been a few military deals announced. Yeah. I will definitely be looking. First of all, I love the music that you played at the beginning. because <laughs> bring you back? I, it does. I remember whenever we get to do that, there's nothing more cool when you get to do a state visit, sure. a high-level visit yeah. like this. I love the, and the pomp big and circumstance. soiree tonight. It's quite a list. When you look at the guest I didn't list get invited. of luminaries, I wouldn't have asked you live <laughs> on the air. I'm not going either. Um, although you probably should be. The uh, 
the list of, of dignitaries is like a who's who of corporate America, mm. whether it's General Electric or uh, the CEO of Apple. I mean, everyone's going to be in there. Everyone seems to want a piece of this pie, not just the government, but private sector. Why wouldn't you? The most populous nation on the planet, a democracy, you know, a, a middle class that is that is forming and rising mm-hmm. and, and only going to get bigger. Well, so is India what we thought China was? Uh, that it, oh wow, what a great comparison! I, I think so. I think so in the sense that you know there was this theory uh, for the last forty years. You know, since well, and since Nixon went to China, but even in the George W. Bush administration when China entered the WTO, mm-hmm. and the Clinton administration when they did another opening to China, there was this theory that we would help get millions of people out of poverty uh, by introducing capitalism, trade, business relationships with China, and and the theory was that they would moderate their behavior. The Chinese Communist Party would somehow become less communist as we introduced capitalism to them. It was a fine working theory. It made sense when we pursued it. But what we subsequently did, especially when they entered the WTO, as yeah. we ignored the intellectual property theft, right? We, we mm-hmm. for too long ignored the military buildup in the South China Sea. Uh, we even, you know, until our administration, uh, we had effectively ignored human rights, right? I mean, to, to put some blame on, on, on Democratic and Republican administrations, the Clinton and Bush administration really didn't talk about human rights in China. And in our administration, you didn't hear much in the Obama administration either. We declared under Mike Pompeo the genocide in Xinjiang. So I think under Xi Jinping, who thinks that he is greater than Mao Zedong, right? He thinks he's emperor for Just life. Just don't call him a dictator. That, that, right. Well, you know, it, let's call it let's call it what it is. Is what I like to say. Um, India, obviously, uh, incredibly populous. I think that there is there's much much clearly there's there's much more prospects for a long-term beneficial relationship um, that we have. We have a lot of areas of mutual and common interests. Um, it's just a much more natural partner, natural ally than the communists. That should not be surprising to anyone. Well, yeah, so there's a lot here, uh, including uh, the issue of human rights. You brought up genocide in China, which is, you know, it's amazing to me that we can't call President Xi a dictator without getting an enormous response, yet this is a White House that has labeled China, following your administration, mm-hmm. the home of genocide. It's, it's kind of hard to mince words after you drop that word. But there are about 75 Democratic lawmakers uh, who wrote a letter to President Biden urging him to address human rights issues with Prime Minister Modi in this meeting today. A record that has not grown better, but apparently has become a bit worse over recent history. How do you how do we catalog that in comparison to what we know about China? I mean, you know, it's it's confounding to me, these Democratic lawmakers. I'd like to give them International Relations 101 class. Um, First of all. Why does no one say this about Pakistan when they come? How many open, how many people get to openly practice Christianity or Judaism in Pakistan? Or or how many Hindus can live peacefully in Pakistan? So give me a break on that front, right? You, you know, what happens in foreign policy? You try to have tough conversations with your friends and partners. So you know, people always brought up Saudi to us, for example. Yep. They would say, there's all these human rights abuses in Saudi. How do you have a relationship with them? And I always said the hard work of diplomacy uh, is not just meeting with your friends and talking about how wonderful everything is, mm-hmm. but whenever you try to urge and push countries uh, to be more open. We also have to remember that, our, that, that m- many democratic lawmakers, their theory of the case of what human rights is, allowing 
allowing children to transition is something that is hugely, hugely controversial, not only here, but in even in Europe and many countries abroad. So our definition of human rights is often changing, and it also is often very at odds uh, with other peoples, with other countries, especially people of, of deep religious faith. Now, should uh, Muslims and Christians and Jews and other people have the right in a democracy in India to practice openly and freely? That is absolutely a message that we should say to them behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But there is, again, if you want to counter the Chinese Communist Party, if you want to have a democratic ally in Asia, in the Indo-Pacific, there is no country more important than India. So have those conversations behind the scenes. But let's not be hypocritical. Would any of those 75 democratic lawmakers not attend if the prime minister of Pakistan came? No, of course, they'd be here to grovel. We've got a couple skipping the the address to Congress today to to a joint session. Maybe if you saw those names, including uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, maybe that wouldn't be a big shock to you. Um, But look, here we are. And I guess I wonder, based on what you just said, is this the lesser of two evils? Or is this, in fact, a free democracy that is worth investing for the long term? Because we're making a generational move here. It's a free democracy worth investing in the long term. You have people that have uh, close ties with the United States. We have a massive uh, expat population. Um, we have our vice president is, you know, is uh, has a, a ethnic background. Um, from there as well. Uh, We have Nikki Haley, right, also with a similar ethnic background. It just goes to show uh, how much uh, people, Americans with with an Indian heritage, have been so successful uh, in this country, you know, in all walks of life. Um, So from a a people to people, from a cultural ties, from a democracy standpoint, is any country perfect? Absolutely not. Ours is far from perfect, right? I'm sure if India wanted to, they could go down the list of things that they would like to criticize in our country, and maybe they should do the same to us. We've got uh, defense deals. We've got commercial deals at hand. GE is going to be building, apparently helping India build jet engines in its own Mm -hmm. country. Uh, What's this going to look like a few years down the road? You know, you look back a decade ago at how things uh, evolved with China. And I wonder what this looks like with some time to bake. I'm sort of laughing because I'm defending the administration against their far left critics. I'm today. rolling on all of this, <laughs> by the way. So memo to the Biden administration, who knew Morgan? But they're they're doing the right thing today, and so you know, listen. Whenever I have policy differences, I'm not I'm I'm quick to That's say. That's why it, you're but, here. But but I think this is absolutely the right thing to do. This is the relationship to invest in, to double down on. One of the reasons why the military and commercial ties are so important is mm-hmm. because India has historically relied on Russia for a lot of equipment. They were uh, taking in the S-400s, which was was very controversial whenever I was in, um, and and listen, India likes to be independent, right? They they like they don't like to be under sort of anyone's umbrella. They see themselves uh, as a as a rising power, as the largest democracy, uh, as a, a, an incredibly competitive economy, and so they see themselves with a lot of autonomy on the world stage, mm-hmm. which I think is warranted. They are also a part of the Quad, uh, which was something that was started at the end of the George W. Bush administration. I, I think it kind of died out in. In the eight years of Obama, and then we revived that again. The Quad is the United States, uh, Japan, uh, India, and oh, who's the fourth one in the Quad? Australia. Yes. Uh, right. We have another one with South Korea, but they're mm-hmm. not in the Quad. Um, those meetings, we attended a lot of those meetings. Again, and, and when you talk about uh, countering China, making sure that there's freedom of navigation, freedom of the seas throughout the Indo-Pacific, uh, these alliances are incredibly important. You but, mentioned Russia, though. Com- when it comes yeah. to oil. Yeah. Do we not have to ask, would you please stop buying the Russian? I mean, it's funding the war effort. 
Um, so it's interesting because during the Trump administration, you'll remember, we had something called the Maximum Economic Pressure Campaign against Iran, and India did not purchase Iranian oil under the Trump administration. This is why I have been arguing when the Biden administration says the Russia sanctions, mm -hmm. not to get too nerdy on sanctions, but I am a former Treasury person during the Obama administration, yes, actually. Right. Uh, but when the Treasury, when they say that this is the toughest sanctions package, it's, it's not true because the Max Pressure Campaign, that sanctions package that we had on Iran, not only only did we get India and China not to buy Iranian oil. We were very tough on the sanctions enforcement, uh, and we were successful in getting them to agree not to buy Iranian oil. We also saw no oil price spikes during that time, during max ec economic pressure in the Trump campaign. Why is that? Because we realized that we had natural resources at home that we could okay. use. But you've got Russia now selling oil on the black market at yeah. ridiculous prices. And Prime Minister Modi is going to say, come on, how do I say no to that? This is why diplomacy is really hard and really tough. And it did not happen overnight. But Brian Hook, our last Iran envoy, uh, had a very good relationship with Jai Shankar, who, was the, uh, who went on to become the foreign minister. And through really tough and good diplomacy, we were able to get the Indians uh, not to agree to buy Iranian oil. So it is possible for the Biden administration to do it. They have just been unsuccessful Does a day so like far. this, a night like tonight, I mean, he, we're giving them the treatment. We're putting on the Ritz. We are. Does that, does that go a long way to accomplishing that? Uh, inshallah. I, mean, I hope so. They're going to have a big hug tonight and talk about oil, right? Yeah. <laughs> talk to me, uh, Morgan, while you're here about China specifically. We're coming off the Blinken trip last weekend. Mm -hmm. You know what these are all about. It's the first senior U.S. official to be in China in five years. He was he was feeling pretty good about himself when he left. Then the dictator thing happened. Is this two steps forward, one step back? What's the purpose of indulging this relationship if we are turning away from China? Why, why be apologizing right now or are we just yeah. inextricably tied? I don't think it's an accomplishment to go to China. That's just a flight, right? And so mm -hmm. uh, should uh, Secretary of State, should Blinken talk to the Chinese? Of course she should. That's what diplomacy is. He said is. it was an accomplishment to lower the temperature. Uh, in what way? The mil they didn't even they didn't get any military to military talks. I That's don't see correct. anything successful. He did bring up fentanyl. They gave a throwaway promise that they would have some subcommittee working group uh, to work on the chemical precursors to fentanyl, which originate from China and come to the United States. Trust me, if China's putting you in some committee to work on something, that's you know the Communist Party way of patting you on the head. You know, I again, I'm not criticizing Blinken for. Uh, talking to the Chinese, because of course you should. But there was no reason for us to beg and go to China uninvited. Why would you give Xi Jinping that domestic win at home? Those pictures of him looking the, like the well, triumphant emperor. beat us up in their media, emperor. actually. He didn't right. get very I mean, good press there. So, we, yeah. well, is, is a meeting between the two presidents an accomplishment? If, if it leads to that, was it worth it? I'm, I'm, you don't seem to think you should have gone at all. I don't think he should have gone. They could have met on neutral territory. Uh, we had the policy in 2020. Uh, Pompeo was furious with the Chinese for lying. He was the fr I, for lying about the uh, excuse me origins of COVID, and he started talking about this in February 2020 before any world leader was looking at this. He was at the Munich Security Conference February 2020. It was one of the last big global conferences before the lockdown. Yeah. Pompeo said in his speech, "They are not letting independent investigators in. They are hiding the truth and the origins of COVID." And everyone sort of gave us a funny look only to find out we were right. So we did not seek meetings with the Chinese. We were aggressively going after uh, their domestic espionage here at home with things like the Confucius centers, uh, like the embassy, excuse me, the consulate in Houston, the Chinese consulate that we had closed down. Mm -hmm. Finally, finally, in summer of 2020, the Chinese decided that they wanted to meet and we all met in Hawaii. So uh, there's Alaska, there's Hawaii, there's plenty of neutral places where they could have met. They did not need to give 
uh, Xi Jinping the domestic win of having you know the American Secretary Secretary of State uh, go to China, all of the pictures that and, and to get what for it? I, I don't. He said they they felt it was a victory that he got the meeting. Mm -hmm. To me, a victory is if thousands and thousands of our young people stop dying from fentanyl that comes from China. That would be a victory. Don't be a stranger. I, I, I know opinions. you're in Washington more often than you get over here, and you do have opinions. Morgan Ortegas, a former State Department spokesperson, founder of Polaris National Security. It's great to have you with us on Thanks. Modi Day. Come back and talk to us soon. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The Thursday edition of Sound On. We're live from Washington. Thanks for joining us. I'm Joe Matthew. With an eye on the U.S. House where things have been feeling a little bit out of control, certainly last night when it came time for the censure vote on Congressman Adam Schiff. On this vote, the yeas are 213 and the nays are 209. With six answering present, the resolution adopted. Without objection, the motion to consider is relayed on the table. House will be in order. This is not normally how it sounds in the House. I'll wait. I'll wait. Democrats gathering in the well of the chamber to chant shame as the still relatively new speaker tries to gavel them into order. It didn't work very well. They weren't having any of it. This went on for several minutes. And I won't walk you through the whole thing, but it gives you a sense of how that went. Of course, as we told you earlier, Adam Schiff thanked Republicans for helping him <laughs> raise a lot of money, which is apparently what's going to happen here with his Senate race. Uh, this on the heels of Lauren Boebert's effort to impeach Joe Biden have a number of people asking if Speaker McCarthy has lost control, if he ever had control. Joining us to talk about it is our Congress whisperer. Megan Scully, Bloomberg News Congress team leader is your real title, but yes. I think I like the other one better. It's good to see you, Megan. <laughs> you Thanks too. for coming over here. This is this is pretty wild stuff. When 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 decorum breaks down on that level, uh, you know, people might be used to watching Parliament, but that's not normal around here. Yeah, I was about to say it sounded more like Parliament <laughs> yes. than than the U.S. House. We've been seeing more and more instances like this uh, in the last few years. You know, it's kind of starting with the Joe Wilson "You Lie" moment yeah. back during an Obama. Um, State of the Union address, and um, you know we've definitely seen the decorum. It ramped up quite a bit for this last State of the Union. Yes, for sure. So um, you know, so it, it's not totally uh, an anomaly, but you know, censure resolutions are very rare yeah. in the House. You know, they don't have it's much. A former chairman. Yes, yes, and former impeachment manager right. as well, which is why Ding. he was <laughs> censured. <laughs> 
Yes. Okay. So I mentioned as well the impeachment uh, articles brought forth by Lauren Boebert. This actually had people questioning Speaker McCarthy's authority and level of control even more than whatever happened there last night as she brought this to the floor. Mr. Speaker, pursuant to Clause 2A1 of Rule 9, I rise to give notice of my intent to raise a question of the privileges of the House. The form of the resolution is as follows, HRES 503, impeaching Joseph is. R. Yes. Biden Now, a Jr. privileged motion President like that, you can, uh, you can explain, Megan, would, would bring this to the floor for a vote, right? But it seems that Speaker McCarthy's gotten in the way of that. Yeah, so a privileged re resolution has to be voted on within a specific time frame. Mm -hmm. But McCarthy managed to do some arm twisting and get this Boebert resolution referred back to committee, which essentially puts the brakes on it. Uh, this was this came at the the behest, the pleas of um, not only Democrats but but more moderate Republicans, particularly mm -hmm. swing state Republicans, many of whom are freshmen who turned a district from blue to red, and uh, they don't want to be proceeding down a course of impeachment based on whatever Lauren Boebert says. Yes, of course. Uh, and, if, you know, and now there's this famous interaction on the floor between Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who yeah. has her own impeachment articles. Yes. Chip uh, Roy wanted to see this happen. The congressman from Texas, no fan of Speaker McCarthy. How many more fentanyl mobs? How many more angel mobs? How many more Americans need suffer? Because this president refuses to follow the laws of the United States that he raised his hand and swore an oath to defend. And that is why we're here. And that is why I support the resolution. And I reserve. Uh, you might say that Jim McGovern, the Democratic congressman from Massachusetts, disagrees. Oh, my God, Mr. Speaker. Uh, let's get real here. Nothing about this is serious. Not the process, not the intentions of the resolution sponsor. Not the impeachment case, not a single damn thing. Okay, then. Wouldn't it just be easy to let this thing go to a vote because it's not going to pass? What am I missing? Well, it, you mean the Boebert yeah. resolution for it to go to a vote? Well, it puts people in a difficult place of making, um, casting a floor vote either for or against uh -huh. Joe Biden. Be so, held against you in your reelection campaign. Yeah, not in, in particular your primary campaign, yeah. you know, where you, where you would certainly face a challenge, a stiff challenge from the right if you were a Republican who voted, voted against this. Yes. Wow. Does that suggest that if it actually hit the floor that maybe it would pass with a simple Republican majority? I don't think so, because then you also have the issue of um, of basically then you get past your primary and you have to to win a general election in a place like um, northern New Jersey or somewhere in the Hudson Valley in a, in a district that is is, you know, pretty purple. So, no, I, I don't think that it would have succeeded on the floor. Um, and it, it and the Senate certainly wouldn't have uh, right. voted to convict the president, um, which is obviously the next step in this process. <laughs> right. Uh, I think it was uh, the ranking member on the Oversight Committee, Jamie Raskin, who said, you, you can't impeach without evidence. I mean, are there grounds for impeachment? 
Well, that's the whole point of impeachment inquiries, right? Uh, you may remember from the the two sure. that that were launched against uh, former President Trump, um, one on Ukraine and the one in the aftermath of January sixth. Right. There were there were hearings. You know, mm-hmm. the the January sixth one was pretty compressed, just given the, the the period of time we were working in at the very end. But what of would impeachment managers have to work with in, in this case? There's, I, there's, a, there's a document somewhere about a bribe. That's that's what we've heard. Right? The, yes, yes, that and, is. And this is specific to the border. So I guess they'd have to compile a bunch of border data and see if that's real. Yeah. So it's all very um, – I don't think it would pass committee muster. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but this this way it would have just gone straight to the floor and, you know, details, details be damned. So Bloomberg's Kaylee Lines is with us, I'm glad to say. Uh, and Kaylee, I'll tell you, <laughs> this, this is entertaining for folks on Twitter, yeah. but you wonder what it means for the tenure – of Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Absolutely. I mean, I was on the Hill yesterday asking questions of some members of Congress about this, and I talked to Congressman Jim Himes. He's a Democrat yep. from Connecticut. And his quote to me was, if Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene want to own the Republican Party and focus on these issues, they'll pay the price in November of 2024. But it struck me that he said, own the Republican Party, which raises a question of, is this not Speaker McCarthy's to own? <laughs> I think it's becoming less and less so. You know, we saw how difficult it was for him to get elected speaker in the first place. And in doing so, he became beholden to mm-hmm. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was an ally of his in that process, kind of an odd bedfellows moment. Um, but not only her, but others within the party who's, you know, other ultra conservatives who really needed arm twisting and promises from McCarthy to vote for him. And a lot of those Republicans feel like they abandoned him with his deal on the debt ceiling with the White House. Mm -hmm. So he's really kind of trying to thread this needle between, you know, keeping moderates, you know, at bay and and trying to pacify these really restive rebels within his caucus. Boy, this has turned into a bit of a dangerous game. Yeah. as he stood up there banging that gavel yesterday and nobody was responding. I mean, I guess, look, that's part of the job. You're hurting cats. Uh, it still comes back down to who else would do it? Who else could get 218? It's clearly not Steve Scalise. Mm-hmm. And until someone else emerges, Kevin McCarthy's the speaker. Yeah, you would think you'd have to be crazy to want this job oh at this God. point. You know, especially <laughs> after seeing, you know, the, how it would happen with the last two Republican speakers yeah. prior, you know, with with um, you know, how they resigned, you know, amid these pushes from the 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 right flank of the party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Scalise is always mentioned as as sort of an heir apparent. Um, they could choose a more conservative, you know, person like a Jim Jordan or James Comer. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be hard for, for anyone to get the, the votes necessary. Remember, Republicans have like a four or five seat majority um, and no Democrat. Well, I shouldn't say that. Democrats traditionally don't vote mm. for speaker, but but there could be a case where some moderate Democrats we'll would agree, you know, the lesser of two evils kind of thing. Boy, to think we're still talking about this, Kelly. I know. I mean, this is going to be it'll be just part of his tenure, right? The motion to vacate will hang over Kevin McCarthy as long as he holds the gavel. But that's what he signed up for. Right. He knew what it was, what was going to be necessary mm-hmm. for him to finally, after all of these rounds, actually be named speaker. He agreed to it. Mm-hmm. Now no, you got to live with the consequences, I guess. It. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Megan, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Our Congress whisperer, Megan Scully. <laughs> 
To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Coming off the bilateral news conference, the big state visit today with Prime Minister Modi of India and a President Biden who's making a generational investment mm. as we turn away from China. Together, we're unlocking a shared future of what I believe to be unlimited potential. And with this visit, we're demonstrating once more how India and the United States are collaborating on nearly every human endeavor. Interesting back and forth, Kaylee. We haven't had too much of an opportunity to talk uh, about it so far uh, with the two of us here. Uh, But, you know, there are members of the president's Democratic caucus, Mm -hmm. progressive members, who do not want any part of this relationship, who are boycotting the address today, at least a couple of them. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez makes the big headline, as always. Uh, But dozens sent a letter to President Biden asking him to address human rights issues in India. And I'll be very curious to hear if they were satisfied with what they heard uh, from Prime Minister Modi today in the East Room. Yeah, I mean, this was really the big issue that was being talked about in the buildup to this meeting, is this idea that this Biden administration has really pushed globally this narrative of democracy needing to prevail and pushing back against autocratic behavior on the part of China and Russia. So then when you have the questions around potentially the decline uh, in democratic values in India and human rights issues, it kind of becomes a little harder to to make that circle square, if you will. And so obviously there are some Democrats who have taken real issue with this. I will say, though, Joe, I spoke with some Democrats on Capitol Hill today, like Senator Bob Menendez, who's the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee. Mm -hmm. And he basically made the point that with any relationship, you're going to have issues, but that this country is very important because it's in the Quad. It's in the Indo-Pacific. It's a really important part of meeting that China challenged. So this may be an area in which that kind of foreign relations benefit is going to have to trump what is going on with India domestically. Really important voice uh, on Mm -hmm. this story on a day like this. In a relationship, there will always be things you don't agree with. Some of our longest, uh, you know, partners and allies we have issues with. So this is a country that is important. We have made it part of the Quad. We think it's very important in the Indo-Pacific. It is an important part of meeting our China challenge. I think um, uh, that India understands the China challenge because they themselves have had territorial issues with China. So this is a big deal. I was talking to Rick and Jeannie about it a bit earlier. It's like if you backed up 10 or even 15 years with Mm -hmm. China, went back to that stage of our relationship and had a chance kind of to do it all over again, which is what we're going to try to do in India. Right. Well, and and to your point on 10 to 15 years, another Republican senator I spoke with today, J.D. Vance, said Mm -hmm. over the next decade, every single day, India is going to make a decision as to whether or not it wants to get closer to China Mm -hmm. or to the United States. And Mm -hmm. he thinks it would be a, a mistake to of U.S. leaders to push them towards China. So really, yeah. it is about this counterbalancing uh, impact as India now is even larger than China in That's terms right. of population and is, you know, an even more emergent global force uh, on the world stage. 
You talked uh, with a lot of lawmakers today as the president was talking as well. And he's he's asked, of course, about President Xi. Mm-hmm. Um, important here. This is one of the headlines that crossed the terminal. In fact, following the dictator remark, uh, following Anthony Blinken's visit to China over the weekend, has been we've been framing it as two steps forward, one step back. So, you know, are they going to meet or not? We had an incident that uh, caused uh, some uh, some confusion, you might say. But President, but Secretary Blinken had a great trip to China. I expect to be meeting with President Xi sometime in the future, in the near term. And uh, I don't think it's had any real consequence. We'll see about that. Uh, there are questions on whether that meeting is going to take place at all. Yeah. Seems to think that it will. Yeah, I guess it's a question of timing. And in the meantime, could we see other administration officials actually making the trip to China as has been planned? We understand Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, for example, already once over the spy balloon incident, we saw a trip derailed. That's why Secretary Blinken went Yes. A few days ago rather than months ago. Right. That's what canceled the trip. So I just, you know, there's. Gina Raimondo wants to go. Half the cabinet wants to go. Right. And so how disruptive are little, you know, verbal spats like this Mm -hmm. to those efforts to actually have these in-person meetings? Well, we're joined right now, I'm glad to say, by Senator Marsha Blackburn, of course, the Republican uh, from Tennessee who's no stranger to these airwaves. Senator, it's great to have you with us. I appreciate you're chiming in here, and we'd love your take on this. The, this apparent generational investment in India, the shift away from China, is the timing right? Is this the right move? We would hope that India would shift away from not only China, but also Russia. You know, India right now is getting a lot of their fuel from Russia, and they're buying weapons uh, from Russia. So we'd like very much to see them shift away and move to the U.S. and our allies as their partner of choice. Uh, This is a decision that Modi and his government are going to have to make. Um, we, We think that as we begin to see companies, and I'll say this, it's going to take U.S. companies working in partnership on this because as they are looking for uh, new places to move manufacturing, whether it is in telecommunications or with pharmaceuticals or uh, semiconductor chips, technology, uh, what they need to do is think in terms of uh, reshoring, friendshoring, and getting some of this critical supply chain uh, manufacturing out of China and to other places. So you've got some diversification in the supply chain. And obviously, Senator, this was something that Narendra Modi was asked about in the press conference that just wrapped up this hour at the White House. He did say that he's ready to contribute to restore peace for Ukraine. Maybe we'll see how much specifically that is about turning away from Russia or you know what those efforts look like. But on the broader issue of human rights and, and democracy in India, something that was you know danced around a bit uh, at this at this news conference, should. Prime Minister Modi be getting the kind of uh, welcome he is getting here in Washington, including this joint address uh, to Congress, uh, given some of those issues? The the issues, the human rights issues, um, some of the other issues they have had there in the country, um, this is something that is of concern to us. Um, I, the 
when the administration decides that they are going to welcome someone, maybe it would not be someone that you would see welcomed uh, as graciously by a different administration. But what we have to do is say, okay, if they're, what is the opportunity to push for democracy? What is the opportunity to push them away from some of their partners and put the U.S. in the position of being a preferred partner? What is the opportunity to speak out against some of the human rights violations? And, of course, I am one of those, as you well know, that has spoken out against what the Chinese Communist Party has done not only to the Uyghurs and the the way they have dealt with them, the surveillance, uh, and the way they have enslaved them. But you look at the way they've treated uh, the Hong Kong freedom fighters. You look at what has been done to the Tibetans, to the Mongolians. You look at the bullying that they are doing not only to Taiwan, but also to the Pacific Island nations and to the Philippines. And that causes uh, that causes me a tremendous amount of concern because we know China's goal and that goal is global domination by the midpoint of the century. Senator Blackburn, I have to ask you uh, about technology, which, of course, overlaps every time we discuss this with China. And I know that you're making uh, a real effort to ban TikTok, for instance. You probably want to weigh in on that. But I'd like to ask you about AI, because this is the new issue that Washington is trying to get its arms around uh, when it comes to new technology. And the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer talked about this yesterday in his speech, uh, the effort to regulate AI, to address AI on a bipartisan level. And he he rattled off the name of a few senators because it appears he cannot do this without your help. Listen. We also need the input of those senators who have spoken out on AI to join us. Senators Bennett and Thune, Blumenthal, Blackburn, Hawley, others. Blackburn, he said, do you plan to work with Chuck Schumer on helping to regulate AI? We have uh, been looking at AI in our Commerce Committee and also in our Judiciary Committee. And uh, Senator Blumenthal and I have done some good work uh, through Commerce Committee last Congress on uh, some of the issues around this. One of the things that we do know when it comes to AI, that there are utilizations that uh, we have Tennesseans using every day that are are good, uh, that are speeding the process. Things like disease analysis, predictive diagnoses, uh, new systems in logistics, um, automation for manufacturing, especially in the auto industry. We also, with our creative community in Tennessee, our songwriters, our artists, our authors, uh, we have a tremendous amount of concern with what is happening in that realm with AI, where they are uh, using created content to train AI to voice clone entertainers or actors, and then they're using it, they're using uh, written songs to train AI. And uh, the hearing that we did last week, I used an example of the way it affects the entertainment community. 
And my concerns over this with uh, Sam Altman's OpenAI and Jukebox that he's done, which we've been through Napster with that (laughs) distributing content that couldn't be... Uh, that artists weren't uh, compensated for, songwriters Mm. weren't compensated for. And so um, we're concerned about some of these utilizations and those creative community members not being appropriately compensated. So it's something we've got to establish a basic online consumer privacy standard before we can get to the other issues that AI is touching. Mm Is one of those issues also its accessibility to children, Senator? I know that this is an issue near and dear to your heart is about kids and their access to misinformation. And of course, you have your Kids Online Safety Act. How does the AI conversation fit into this? The AI conversation fits in on this issue and with the Kids Online Safety Act. When you look at the algorithms, when you look at the way AI is trained and a machine learning is trained and feeding you more of what you're looking for, um, that's where you get that nexus. And then also children being able to get into these systems, an AI system, a chat GPT, things of that nature, uh, without parental consent and some of the things they're exposed to in that virtual space. It's one of the reasons we need to pass the Kids Online Safety Act and make certain that parents have a toolbox that they can use to protect their children in that virtual space. Senator, last time you were on, I asked you about the lobbying effort to block legislation that would ban TikTok. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the worst kept secret in D.C. They're paying a lot of people a lot of money to keep this from getting to a vote. Is the same thing going to happen on AI? We've got big money that's being invested here in Microsoft, NVIDIA, Google. The, you know, it, it just goes on and on. The amount of cash that's on the line here is going to make your job a lot more difficult. Well, it's been making my job difficult for 10 years. It was, you know, in uh, 2012 that I started trying to get an online consumer privacy and put in place some of these guardrails on these online platforms. And today, Senator Blumenthal and I met with um, some of the parents who have lost their children. Yeah to actions that have taken place online, or they met a sex predator or a drug dealer Mm -hmm. online, and it is just absolutely heartbreaking, and it just tells you that you've got to begin to rein this in. Now, big tech has fought us for 10 years. They will, they're lobbyists. I mean, they've got an army of lobbyists up here, and they That means you need an army, too, I think. That's (laughs) right, of good Americans that want to see things Well, keep us posted on the battle here, because we want to have more time next time we talk. Senator Marshall Blackburn, the Republican from Tennessee. Kaylee, I'll meet you on Balance of Power. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. 
I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.